Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Do not worry, my wonderful listeners. Do not worry. We will indeed get into mock draft breakdown once again on today's podcast, but we have to address a what I believe to be relatively large Piece of news related to the NBA's potential start date breaking first thing this morning before we dive into the fantasy stuff. And this obviously does have its connections to the fantasy side. There's no arguing that when the season starts and how many games it includes are critical for our fantasy decisions. But just from a basketball standpoint, if we don't talk about the Mark Stein tweets from this morning we wouldn't be doing our job. So with that, uh, I say to you all, good morning. Very happy Friday to everyone. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I think you guys have pretty much all found me by now. We're in that weird time of the year where it's the same, like, 33% of you that listen during the actual basketball season that stick around for the offseason as well. And for that, I thank you. You're my favorites. They say don't tell, don't say to either of your children, any of your children, that they're your favorite. But you guys are my favorites. You guys stick us, stick with us in the off season. If I didn't have this nice chunk of you listening during the off season, which for this year has basically been seven months long now, I absolutely would have lost my mind. There's no question, I would have totally lost it. Like we did our last meaningful fantasy show of course, on March 11th, and the next day, there was about a 30% drop. Everybody just went away. We're like, eh, whatever. And then every few weeks from that point on, it just, it, it slowly trickled out. I'm kind of surprised at how long everybody stuck with us on this show. You guys are amazing. Anyway, uh, hopefully we'll be finding new listeners as we curl now towards the start of a new season, but... You guys are my favorites. Love you guys. The Mark Stein tweets from this morning. Let's just dive right into those immediately here. Uh, it was a thread. I think it was three tweets long. And I'm I'm inclined to just read them straight through, which is, I know, kind of boring radio, but I want you guys to hear what I saw, just in case you missed the news. Tweet number one, and I quote... NBA players may only be offered a 50-game season, I'm told, this is I'm being Mark Stein, if the union insists on a mid-January start rather than the December 22nd proposal. Because the league's television partners do not want the upcoming season, he wrote the 2020-2021 season, to stray past mid-July or clash with potential 
Tokyo Olympics. I added the word potential. Tweet number two, quote, a 50-game season would reduce player salary significantly in 2021 since NBA pay adheres to a regular season schedule. The NBA's 72-game model calls for teams to play roughly 14 games a month through May, followed by the playoffs through mid-July before the Olympics begin, which is what we talked about when we were gaming out how long the season would take and why getting the season done by May as opposed to June was a really big deal because, again, those later months, viewership goes down, and then, of course, the uh, the playoffs roll into deep into the summertime, also viewership dropping, and then Olympics right after that. Uh, tweet number three. Quote, the Pacers' Malcolm Brogdon, who's on the union's executive committee, told Rachel Nichols yesterday he expects today's deadline on talks to be extended for the fourth time this year. But a resolution in the standoff is expected by next week with all sides antsy for clarity. So are we, by the way. I should have said end quote after clarity. So are we. We are also antsy for clarity at this point. But I think this tweet thread gives us a measure of clarity. A few thoughts. The um, the big pieces are a clarity by next week. So we should know by next week when our NBA is seizing. Uh, season is beginning, and how many games it's going to include. Big point number two, the ownership, the board, is offering a 50-game season if the league postpones the season by one month, which is notable because there's only a four-week gap between the pre-Christmas start and the MLK Day start. In fact, I think it might even be a day less one day under four weeks. I think it's 21, 27. Am I getting that right? Is it 27 days apart, those two? Yeah, I think so. Um, so the, I, I think one of the thoughts that at least I saw popping up on Twitter was why the giant drop-off in games played if the season is only four weeks shorter. If you shorten a normal season by four weeks, you should only lose about 13 or 14 games as opposed to 22. So why doesn't the 72-game season become a 58-game season instead of 50? This one is actually more straightforward. I was surprised, actually, to see the confusion on that drop-off because, to me, it's actually uh, relatively clear. We've talked about this before. We talked about this back when the NBA was trying to squeeze in a few more bubble games before the playoffs. T Regional TV deals generally set a 72-game minimum on the season. I don't know if it's all of them. I don't see the contracts for these things, but we've been told that on the whole, I want to do an Austin Powers joke here, on the whole, the regional TV contracts call for 72 games. They want to air 72 games. That's what they're selling to advertisers. Everything breaks down if the teams don't play 72 games. So if they don't hit 72, the difference between 50 and 58, or frankly, 50 and 71, is minimal. The normal difference is actually a little bit less minimal. The difference between 50 and 70 is 10 home games for these teams. And again, if they're making 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever million dollars per home game, you'd want those extra four or five home games mixed in. You'd want the extra 10 to $15 million of revenue per team. But if the NBA is looking at it like we are, which is 
you know, what are the odds that they can actually pack arenas by the end of the season? I still think it's low. I still think you're looking at partial arenas by the end of the season. So then they're not probably, I mean, that's probably not profitable. I know an empty arena definitely isn't profitable to hold a home game. There's a lot that you have to pay for to just have some dudes play basketball and no revenue coming in. A quarter arena, I mean, what does that make it? Maybe a neutral? Are you able to cover most, some or most of your losses in that instance? So the owners, they would actually prefer to have the shorter season, but if they can hit that 72-game mark and still get it done before the Olympics and still get it done early enough that you're not losing all of your viewership into the summertime, then that's a net positive. We don't know the exact numbers on this. We've been told that there is about a $500 million revenue gap if the season starts later, and this is probably what they were talking about. They're like, look, if we can't get this done, if we can't get the season done by May and the playoffs done by July, we are going to be in a massive hole. If we have to start later, push up against the Olympics, we're not going to get any viewership. You think you think bubble pandemic viewership was bad. Try viewership up against Olympics. Plus, players, will they even want to go? Probably not. You're going to get a B squad at best. Probably a C squad going to play out there. No one's going to pay attention to that. There are so many bad things for the long-term health of the NBA that come from a season running too long this coming year. So to me, there's no decision at this point. I know we have a handful of teams and players that really don't want the season to start on December 22nd. And it just so happens the most powerful man in the NBA is on one of those teams, that of course being LeBron James. I don't blame him. He is right uh, for his own team. LeBron is actually wrong for about 26 of the 30 teams, though, which is, I, I think, why this really is no longer a discussion. I think the season's starting December 22nd. Unless they somehow come to an agreed-upon in-between where they still get to 72 game, or uh, is it's 72, right? Or is it 70? It's 70 or 72. I've, I've now talked, I've said it so many times that the number has ceased to have meaning in my head. Uh games to get that regional TV revenue. So, I would say I'm relatively certain they want the Christmas games. That's a big individual moneymaker for the NBA. But should they have to give those up and start, say, I don't know, like New Year's Day? I don't think it's going all the way to MLK Day. Maybe there's an in-between where they can still ram 72 games in in a shortened season... Probably remove some off days. Uh, we heard, and we talked about it a little bit on yesterday's podcast, that they're going to be trying to minimize travel, which means that you won't need as many off days. Well, we saw it in the bubble. When the teams didn't travel, we didn't need to do two days off between a bunch of ball games. They just were able to play every other day. So you might see some back-to-backs. You might, I would think, more back-to-backs if you were going to try to cram the schedule in. Fewer two-day offs. Uh, more intra divisional and intra-conference stuff with fewer long travel situations to maybe shave a week off the season scheduling-wise. That's the way that maybe there's a mid-ground there. Like, maybe they start December uh, 
30th or December 31st or something like that. I start on New Year's Eve, nine days later than the 22nd ownership target start date, but still almost three weeks earlier than the MLK Day start date, and they find a way to shave a week off during the season in the playoffs. That's not that hard. You could do that. Still, um, they want that Christmas game. And then for you know those folks like LeBron and the Lakers and the Heat in particular who are looking at this and saying, you know, what really is the difference between December 22nd and nine days later? Is that actual? There's, there's, you could call it a tangible difference. 27 days, you're telling someone who's exhausted, hey, you get an extra month to recover. That has a pretty good meaning. If you tell that person, hey, you've got an extra nine days to recover, I don't know if they're going to really care that much. Like they could, this, The ownership might propose this, or the Players Association might propose this, and both sides might be cool with it, but I don't know that it actually allays the issue for the main, for the strongest voices on the we-need-to-wait side. So, But here's the thing. LeBron is super powerful. There's no question about that. LeBron carries a ton of weight in what the NBA does, but LeBron is also, in this instance... And you know, it's it's not fair of me to single him out, but he's certainly he's going to be one of the leading voices in the charge to postpone the start of the season. And again, to stress this, I don't blame him. This is a really quick turnaround for an older player. Jimmy Butler has the same gripe. Anyone on those two teams that went to the finals and even the conference finals has that same gripe that this is a really quick offseason turnaround. The training camp is starting in five weeks from now. They're not really going to be a part of it, but again, that's really, really fast. The, the season just ended. It really, it just ended two weeks ago. He's right. But he's not right for the whole league. There are, and we've done this, we'll do this quick math breakdown again. There are eight teams that haven't played a game since March. You think they're rested? Yeah, they're rested. They're rusty as hell. There are an additional... Uh, six teams that haven't played a game since the end of the bubble and only played eight or nine Grizzlies, shout out Grizzlies, in the bubble. And there are another eight that played an additional roughly 10, 11 days after that that haven't played in a pretty damn long time. So at that point, you leave only the remaining eight teams as clubs where you might be able to argue yeah, they could probably use a little bit more time. And even of those remaining eight teams, I'm not sure that all of them really care that much about delaying the start of the season anyway. I'm thinking at least a few of those clubs that were in the final eight don't really have that big of a problem with getting fired back up again. Uh, the Bucks probably aren't that thrilled about it. They're probably not that stoked. Um, I don't think the Rockets care either way. Clippers, they'd probably like a little bit more time for Kawhi, but I bet you Paul George would love to get back out there and prove some stuff. So let's say seven of those eight teams really do want the extra time off. Is that fair? That doesn't really matter. Um, because at least four of them definitely do. And then of the ro- those remaining four that were knocked out in the previous round, you got the Rockets, the Clippers, uh, the Bucks, and the Raptors. So you could argue that most of those teams probably do want a little bit more rest. But again, 
that's still only eight out of 30 teams at most that have a, a legitimate case for wanting more time off. Here's the other problem with that. Delaying and losing the TV revenue and losing the viewership note and running up against the Olympics, that will create a fat dent into the salary cap. It will impact players' salaries going forward, and it delays the ability. Well, it wouldn't. They're saying, look, we're not going to let this delay our ability to get the season back on a normal schedule next year. That is our top priority, is to get the season starting in October, November next time around. We do not want to be on this cockamamie schedule for another year. Let's take the smallest hit we possibly can this coming season financially, and let's get back to rolling in the 2021-22 NBA season. You guys have listened to this podcast for either one day or three and a half, four years, and you know that 99% of the time I will side with the players. The situation here is there are roughly 70% or more of the NBA players that are probably going to be on the side of the owners in this discussion, which is why it's so complicated. The owners are united. They want the earlier season. They want 72 games to get the TV revenue. They want to minimize the hit that comes from not having fans in the arena. That's, that's it. It's a very simple equation for these very wealthy people. They want to minimize the loss, get through this year, get back to normal. The players have factions, some that need more rest, some that really want to get going immediately, some that are set with their Supermax deals, making $160 million over four years. You're set for life on that. You cannot convince me otherwise. If you make a fraction of that, I mean, you could pretty much, you could give me like $10 million in my bank account and I'd be set for life. Just invest it wisely, do some work, supplement whatever you're getting on interest, things like that. It's like those guys are not worried about the slight loss of revenue. But there are a crap ton of players in the NBA in addition to the ones that just want to get back out and play games again, which, as we've already talked about, is something between uh, 16 and 22 of the teams in the NBA, there are players on those tired teams that need to be out on the floor to make their full salary for this coming season and to be able to get the larger salaries going forward that a salary cap hit would put a dent into. And if you're trying to visualize what this means, because we haven't really seen it shake out on the NBA stage yet, we might, by the way, whenever we find out when free agency is, you're seeing it in baseball already. Because baseball, the season just ended, and teams are making their decisions on whether to exercise relatively affordable team options on guys, and most teams are not. Most baseball teams are just cutting anyone who's making a little bit of money on their teams. That's bad for players because there's no loyalty. Ownership, again, th- these these billionaires are, by and large, not great human beings when it comes to taking care of others. I mean, there's exceptions to that. So again, I, I don't want to paint it with a, a broad stroke brush here, but 
they're going to be, first priority is always going to be their bottom line. Always. And some of these guys will pay their their team employees and stuff like that, and those are great. But when it comes down to millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, the decision doesn't become that hard for them. It's not hard. Which is why, in my estimation, I think we're starting December 22nd. I continue to read the tea leaves. I know yesterday we saw, and the day before, actually, we've seen this sort of negotiating in the press. But now that we know the two potential outcomes, like, I don't know how the players play a game of chicken at this point. Like, oh, yeah, is that what you want, owners? Yeah. And this is the same thing with baseball. You know, I kept holding my breath that the two sides were going to come together and the owners were going to be okay with taking a very small an incrementally larger uh, monetary hit by playing, I don't know, 81 games instead of 60. And ultimately, they pretty much got what they wanted. The owners get what they want and stuff like this because at the end of the day, if not playing games saves ownership money, they are not in any position to want the games played. They're out there saying, look, we're doing, you know, this is goodwill. We want to make sure that the the sport doesn't fall apart or anything like that. And it, it really, it just, it means more for them than it does for the players on their teams. So when I look at all the data sitting in front of me on this, I'm confronted by the notion that a lot of the players want the early start to make sure that they don't take a financial hit. All of the owners want the early start, so their financial hit is as small as possible and gets everybody back on the right schedule next year. And then a handful of guys don't. Those guys don't usually win the argument, especially when those guys are, sorry, financially set. That makes a big difference in this. We're like, think of it, let's create this hypothetical in our mind. How does LeBron James go to someone on the Phoenix Suns and say, hey, I need you guys to wait this out a little bit. I need you guys to get on board with me on the uh, January start time. How does he convince um, DeAndre Ayton of that? Or uh, Kelly Oubre, who has this coming year is a contract year for him. How do you convince Kelly Oubre to want the shorter season knowing that his season is up and he's going to need to sign a, a bigger deal next year? Booker's fine. You might be able to convince Devin Booker he's getting paid 160 mil over the next four years. That's sort of a, a non-factor. But uh, there, there's a bunch of free agents. Mikhail Bridges is going to have a team option for a year floating around after that. Like, there are... And take other young teams. It doesn't have to be the Suns. What about the... Oh, I don't know. How about the Memphis Grizzlies? What about the Grizz? Their salary's tied up in guys like Gorgie Jang. And uh, and Jonas Valanciunas right now. But what about some of their young guys? What about Jaron Jackson Jr. in particular? He's a... Uh, I think he's a... They have a team option on him for 2021-2022. What if salaries are still getting impacted one, two years down the line? How do you convince all these young guys that taking the future hit is worth it if it doesn't really benefit them? So... That's where, I, and again, I don't, what do I care? I think from a fantasy standpoint, I'd rather get the season started sooner, and I want more games. That's what I want. I just, I've missed relevant season-long fantasy to play. I've missed it. 
So selfishly, I want the season to start as soon as possible, and I want it to go as long as, as possible. So yes, I guess selfishly, I do want option A, the December 22nd one, but ultimately, it doesn't really matter to me either way. I just, from looking at the information in front of my face, from looking at what each decision means, seems like it's starting sooner. That's what it seems. We'll see. Maybe they'll come, maybe they'll find a mid-ground. We'll find out. Uh... Pivoting now into my last request in the month of October for you guys to go get something over at manscaped.com. This is this is the big one. It's the last show of the month. This is renewal time for us with our buddies over there. It's been a few months. Things have been a, it's been a great partnership for us here at Hoopball. Uh, I'm hoping the coupon code has really been a wonderful uh, partnership for you guys. Please go check them out today. Please get something today or tomorrow. Manscaped.com. Coupon code is HoopBall20. You can get the Lawnmower 3.0, the Weed Whacker. That's their nose hair trimmer. The Shears. That's the luxury nail kit. They've got an older version of the Shears if you want to save a couple of bucks there. Um, small changes, but I'm sure an older nail kit is is almost as good, if not just as good. They've got sets of things. The Perfect Package, the Performance Package. They've got uh, deodorant, body wash, toner, foot deodorant, uh, cologne, they've got powders, they've got wipes, they've got boxers, t-shirts, travel bags, shaving mats, mints, they've got mints, a Manscaped mint tin, that would look great in the center console of your car, wouldn't it? No, that'd be a little bit weird, I guess, well, you can keep it at home, but they've got all these great things, uh, they support excellent causes, which I, we haven't talked about that much over the last couple months, they, they partner with the Testicular Cancer Society, um, it, they're just a great company and we want to keep working with them. And the way we make that happen is to move a couple more units here at the end of the month. Please go to manscaped.com, use coupon code hoopball20, get something over there. Uh, we'll love you forever. Thank you in advance for doing that for us. We did the first round of our fantasy draft on Wednesday's show. The draft is basically done now. We are, I think, about eight or nine picks from the end. It's just 12 rounds deep. I had something go on the fritz for me, and I got auto-drafted a player, but we're not going to get that far on today's show. But let's talk about round two. We'll check the timer on the podcast at that point, and if there is additional time, we'll talk about round three. This is an eight-category draft done way too early. Well, we thought it was way too early. Now it's only a little bit too early. But without free agency, it's hard to know. There's that trickle-down effect. But I'm not going to go into that whole description again. Round one, by the way, for those who missed on Wednesday's show, went like this. James Harden, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, Carl Anthony Towns, Dame, Giannis, Kawhi Leonard, Trey Young, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, Kevin Durant, and LeBron James. That was your round one of this industry way-too-early mock draft. Round two, I'm going to run all the names together here over there, 12 and then we'll work our way through it with some analysis. Jason Tatum, uh, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, John Collins, Chris Paul, Zach Levine, Paul George, and Kristaps Porzingis. A couple of notes here. One, the uh, December 22nd proposal was not on the table at the time of round two. That popped up closer to about round seven or eight in this draft, if you're wondering. Uh, maybe it was more like round five, when we all kind of learned that Folks that went deep into the bubble might be in a little bit of trouble. Yes, bubble trouble. I did it, and I don't regret it. So if you're thinking about that Butler pick and wondering, and then the Bam pick in the middle of the round and wondering, eh, 
Um, th- we didn't have that news yet. So these were very reasonable picks at the time. Uh, a few thoughts on each of these things. Jason Tatum at 13, I think, is actually kind of surprising that he fell that far, given how good he was this season. Uh, Tatum, if you include all of his bubble games and everything, he was at number 12. If we go back and we just do our normal cutoff in March, uh, his numbers were uh, almost equally strong. He was, I believe he was at number 12 anyway. Played at 59 of the Celtics' regular season pre-bubble games. Averaged 23.5 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, 2.3 defensive stats, and really got it going in the second half of the year, believe it or not, when his field goal percent took off, and he was better than number 12 in that instance. That said, he wasn't a high turnover guy, so uh, he does take a hit in 8-cat because a lot of big turnover dudes jump past him. It's not that he got worse. It's that other guys just got a lot better. So he fell to 21 in 8-cat on a per-game basis. Still, he's shown himself to be pretty darn durable to this point, and you can you can definitely pop that in the uh, the category of we've talked about that. That's the the new tenth category is durability because not that many dudes have it. I think he's got the youth to bounce back from having to go relatively deep in the bubble. I don't have a problem with him at thirteen. I just think that there are more intriguing guys in eight cat at this juncture, and I will highlight them as we move through. Bradley Beal was number 11 in 8-cat this year, but he's going to take a substantial hit, and that's just not a a risk that I'm willing to take this season, especially if he's going this early. John Wall is going to put a giant dent into his usage. Beal's not going to be taking 23 shots a game. I don't think he's going to have six assists a game. I don't think he's going to score 30 points a game this coming year. So there's just a drop-off coming in every single respect. Um, I'd look at him more towards a late second type of valuation uh, but again, I mean, if he, he's also shown himself to be pretty damn durable, Wizards are probably going to be fighting for the eight seed in the Eastern Conference, so maybe you give him the 10th category bump. Still, for me, 14 is too soon. Devin Booker at 15 does make a lot of sense. He was 18 per game in 8-cat, and he was hard charging late. He's shown himself now to be a bit more durable. I think the Suns are going to be gunning for the playoffs. I like Booker at 15. I have no problem with this pick at all. Jimmy Butler at 16, he takes a massive knock with the potential early start to the season, so we'll just ignore this one for now. Again, this pick was made before we learned about the early start. In that instance, it's not that bad. Uh, He was 24 in 8-cat this year, so, um, you know, at 16, maybe a hair too soon, but nothing insane. Kyrie Irving, uh, when it's 17 in this draft, I I think that's going to be a steal. I know he's not going to be number 6 this coming year, not next to Kevin Durant, but even if he takes even a substantial hit, he could be an end-of-first-round per-game kind of guy. And considering the fact that he really didn't play this last season, he should be able to give you a solid 80% of your games. And if he falls any farther than this, in either 8 or 9-cat, he becomes potentially like this season's Chris Paul, where like you only need him to play 75% of his games to hit his value, and anything over that, he just climbs and beats his mark by a little bit more every single game. Joel Embiid went at 18 in this draft. That's fine. He was 16 per game in 8-cat last year. Uh, the the 76ers has done a lot of, of moving pieces around <laughs> in the front office for the most part this offseason. Uh, I think you'll see a, a small efficiency bump for Embiid. I don't know that he's ever going to be fully healthy. And in a shortened season, that to me makes him a really hard guy to draft almost no matter where you get him. But 
if he does fall to 18, you're going to be hard-pressed not to take him at that point. Because again, what if? You're in the what-if scenario. If he plays 80% of his games, he blows past this mark, but he probably won't. Bam Adebayo went at 17. He was number 30 per game in 8-cap, but he played in every single game for the Heat pre-bubble. So uh, there's the, the big leap ahead there. How much better does he get? I don't know. And then again, coming off of the finals run, he takes a tiny bit of a hit. I need to mention once more, this pick was made before we knew about the quick turnaround. I think you might see some rest days for Bam this coming year. I, you almost have to. John Collins went at 19. He was an interesting case study this year because he really didn't have many turnovers. Still managed to be a first-round per-game guy in 8-cat, even without the low the uh, the high turnover situation, even without turnovers being counted. He averaged 22 and 10 with 2.4 defensive stats and really good percentages. Some of that stuff takes a little hit with Clint Capella healthy this coming year. Honestly, I just don't know that he could keep that up for an entire season. Still. It's hard to argue with getting him late in the second round. He looks like a brilliant fantasy player, and so I got no problem with it. Chris Paul at uh, 20. No, 21. Excuse me. John Collins was at 20. Chris Paul is 21. This one scares me. Paul was 25 in 8-cap because he was super efficient. only had 2.2 turnovers a game. I think he's getting traded this year, and if he's getting traded, it's probably to a place where his role takes a hit. Um... I don't think he plays every game pre-trade either. I think he just wanted to show last season that he had the durability to to go full bore for whatever team decides maybe they're willing to, to scoop him up. And I think for OKC, this is they want to be continuing to shuttle more responsibility onto youth. So as much as I loved Chris Paul last year, I'm a little bit down on him this season. I don't think you'll see him on, on all that many of my teams. Zach Levine went at 22, which is totally fine. He was 27 and 8 cat last year. They're, they've got a better coaching situation in Chicago. Even if his usage takes a tiny dip, um, I think you see his numbers hold on relatively well. Uh, he played in most of their ball games, so he actually beat the 27 mark on a totals basis. Uh, there, there may be one or maybe like two or three guys I might take before him at this spot, but I have no problem with him there. Uh, you know, he's he's pretty damn close to a second rounder in 8-cat, uh, even, even on a per-game basis. But the, the, the very slight hit is the reason I probably wouldn't go quite this early. I took Paul George, actually, my next pick, and, and this one becomes a bit more controversial, again, because of the quick turnaround, where, you know, when I made this selection a week and a half ago, I thought, oh, this is a guy who wants to prove everything. And he was 28 per game in 8-cat last year, and that to me is about as bad as it could have gotten. Last year was basically the basement. Paul George, even maybe more than uh, John, uh, who the hell were we talking about as, as, this, as Kyrie Irving, as this year's potential Chris Paul, I think that's Paul George. Because with Kyrie, we've seen him, he's banged up every year. Paul George just never got right, and he had actually been pretty damn healthy for a couple years in a row, and pretty damn tough playing through stuff for a few years in a row. He looked like the prototypical Chris Paul-style bounce back this year, but with the quick turnaround, they might have to ease off the accelerator a little bit on PG. And as much as I hate the way he's handled himself off the court and how he's ended up in this situation... 
I still think you're going to see a lot of Paul Georges on my fantasy teams. I, I love him as a late second round pick. And if he falls any farther than that, I would go bananas for him. He will be in eight cat, a second rounder on a per game basis, easily, probably better. Uh, and nine cat, it, it'll be relatively close to that as well. His turnovers make him a little bit of a wash. Like to me per game, this is about as bad as it gets for him this coming year. Remember, he only played, he only averaged 29 minutes a game because he missed so many games and then was coming back hurt, and so they were keeping his minutes low, they were keeping him in check. If you pull out all of the coming back from injury games, he rockets up the board just with that. I mean, he is easily a second-round guy, and I think he's going to be more durable this year, even with the quick turnaround He's one of my favorite early plays on the board. I think the the ROI there, the risk is not that not as low as perceived, uh, and the return is higher than perceived. Kristaps Porzingis was the last pick of the second round. I get it. I, I certainly do. I get it. He showed the ability to be a first-round guy down the stretch and into the bubble this year, but he's not healthy. He's never healthy, and they're probably going to rest him. So in a shortened season, I can't do it. I can't do it. Hurts me to say it, but I can't do it. Let's do just a couple more. Um, let's at least get through the, the first half of the third round. Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons, Pascal Siakam, DeAndre Ayton, Drew Holiday, and Russell Westbrook. That's the first six picks of the third round. That gets us to 30 on the board. Uh, Lowry at 25 makes a ton of sense. He might get traded this year, but I also, uh, as I mentioned, I think it was a show about three weeks ago, I was kind of revised the way I look at the Toronto Raptors, two weeks ago actually, in that I thought this year they were going to make their run because they still had their old guys and you know Gasol and Ibaka were on contract years and they gave Lowry a one-year extension just to kind of say, yeah, you know, look, we, like we might dangle around a little bit longer. Please help us with some of the young guys, etc. I figured this season Raptors would make their run. Everybody would get crushed by Milwaukee who in my mind, was certain had figured out how to deal with a pack-the-paint defense in the playoffs because they had a whole damn year to prepare for it. Saw how that went. But then everything changed. And, you know, the bubble had something to do with it, but Milwaukee's inability to make adjustments has more to do with it. The Eastern Conference isn't afraid of them. They're not afraid of them come playoff time. I think if Milwaukee could have just beat their way to the finals this year, they would have convinced the Raptors in particular, to retool. Trade off Lowry, get some picks. They'd still be a pretty damn good team with the pieces they had left, re-sign Freddie Van Fleet, all that stuff, and, you know, make a run at, at upper mid-pack, but not championship level, and, you know, make the run at free agents the following offseason. But I think because the Bucks looked so vulnerable this year in the playoffs that all of these teams are going to be inclined to just run it back. So I think Toronto probably keeps Lowry this year, who was number 20 in 8-cat, is going to miss 15 to 20% of the games. But because he's going in the third round, and frankly, he'll probably go later than that in a lot of drafts because he's generally considered to be a pretty boring old man-style fantasy asset. If you're getting Lowry in the third round, you're getting a steal. Again, it's the same damn story. I went Ben Simmons... At uh, 26, he was 19 and 8-cat this year. I think he'll be uh, more durable next season. I like, again, what Philly's doing with their front office. I think Simmons could actually have a huge year, and as much as I hate his free-throw shooting, 
him falling into the third round was hilarious. He should be way higher than that in eight cat. Because free throws and, and turnovers, those are the two things that kill him. You wipe one of those out and he rockets up the board. Pascal Siakam at 27 is too early for me. He's he's not a ball handling type. His turnovers weren't uh, great. He was at 2.5, so it actually does help him a little bit. But he was only at 32 in 8-cat on a per-game basis. Uh, like most of the Raptors, he sort of played himself into some injuries. I don't know how much better he gets. You'll probably see more Siakam at center this coming season, so maybe that helps something. But I think this last year was a pretty good example of what Siakam is. And to me, that's a a later third-round guy. If you want to keep some of the, I don't know, if you want to maintain some of the value in there. The very next pick, DeAndre Ayton, I would probably go over Siakam. Ayton was number 26 in 8-cat. He doesn't turn the ball over all that much. But this is a guy who's going to average a double-double with some blocks and good percentages. And that's a that's a really good early center to have. I don't think he's ever going to be the guy that everybody wanted him to be last year when he was going uh, around 20, but the fact that he's now seemingly bouncing back about a half to a full round makes him a really easy fantasy pick. He's a very easy third rounder if he falls that far. Drew Holiday uh, at 29, it's just exactly where he was in 8-cat last year. He was number 29 on the nose, and... That probably doesn't change all that much. We've heard rumors about him getting traded with Stan Van Gundy coming in. They want to compete. I don't think he's getting moved. Honestly, I think he probably plays a little bit better next year. He's kind of a post-type guy. Everybody wanted him this last year because Anthony Davis left town, but people didn't take into account how many players the Pelicans brought in. And with time now to settle and adjust, I think he'll have a pretty good year. I actually think he's a relatively safe third-round pick this season. I like it. Room to grow, basically. And then finally, Russell Westbrook went at 30. He was number 15 in 8-cat this year. No Mike D'Antoni out there. The problem, of course, with Westbrook is that he's likely to sit on back-to-backs. And so, while he was 15 on a per-game basis, he drops back toward 20 this last year um, on a totals basis. Still, the fact that he mostly fixed his free-throw shooting, it was still a negative, but a very small negative in eight category, you can absolutely take him this early. I see no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, and maybe having a retooling in Houston won't be bad for him. It might not be. I mean, the, the, their offense was so hard and centric in the past that uh, having a shakeup, no Mike D'Antoni, that might actually help Westbrook. And who knows? Maybe they move him to a team where he becomes the number one guy. So that, to me, there's a lot of reason actually to like Russ this coming year. This might be the first time I end up with him in like half a decade. And we'll put a, uh, a pin in it at number 30. Um, Before we sign off, I want to remind you guys once again, hopefully you've been taking advantage of the free contests over at mybookie.ag, largely blackjack-related so far. I, unfortunately, have been getting my butt kicked, but it doesn't matter because they're free. It's free to play in these blackjack tournaments. You just pop in, and it gives you a 1,000 credits to use in the blackjack game, and if you can build that up a little bit, if you go on a heater, uh, you can win. A bunch of money. It's like it's insane. They have a $10,000 tournament going on in Blackjack. Um, actually, you know what? While, while we're doing the podcast now, let me pull up the numbers so you guys can actually hear what the leaderboard looks like and how much money these folks are potentially going to win. So the, uh, the Spooky Season Tournament, 
which is still going on right now, the the top player is getting $1,000. I think there's about four days left in that tournament, if I'm not mistaken. It's running uh, until partway through next week. Yet yeah, the top prize is $1,000, and it's $0 to play. They had a second spooky season blackjack tournament where you actually started with a smaller initial bankroll. That top prize is also $1,000, and it runs until November 2nd. So you still have a few days to get back into that. MyBookie.ag is the website. Promo code HoopBall when you sign up. Make sure to use that promo code HoopBall when you sign up. It unlocks various deposit bonuses, lets them know who sent you, and then just go straight to the casino and play in these free blackjack tournaments. They have a bunch of them. They have a daily tournament for $1,000 that's free every single day. Top prize in that one is 100 bucks. So you can do that every day, 365 days a year. You can participate in a free blackjack tournament. And if you win a couple, even if you place in a couple, you can win 30, 40, 50 bucks, and you can start betting with that if you want. Or make a deposit and bet with that. Football's happening right now. I know baseball, basketball are off. But uh, yeah, it sounds like basketball might not be that far away. MyBookie.ag is the website. We love them. They've been great for us. Promo code HoopBall. Make sure to sign up now. This was Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. We'll pick up on Monday. Uh, Again, if we learn anything over the weekend, that will obviously be the top story. And then at pick number 31, as we analyze the way too early industry mock draft. At Dan Vespers on Twitter, at HoopBallTweets on Twitter. And of course, make sure to follow our buddies over at HoopBallGaming if you want to win some of your bets over at MyBookie. Those are the guys to follow. Have a great weekend, everybody. Monday, big day, big week coming up next week for a lot of reasons. We'll talk to you then. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.